Well, good morning again. I am so excited about Youth Sunday. Uh, It's just my great honor and privilege uh, to get to introduce our guest this morning. Uh, I've gotten now two years just to get to hang out uh, for a week with with Will and Jen. And uh, man, two weeks with somebody and you're just your great, great friends. I just want to tell you how how honoring it is to get to hang out with just great people. Uh, They're they're a hoot to hang out with. They, They joke around. Hey, would you guys just give a warm Calvary welcome for Will Jones Evangelist this morning? All right. Awesome. I'm so privileged to be back here at Calvary. I just want to make sure that I greet all of you who are watching online this morning who weren't able to get here. But uh, I'm so thrilled for what God has wanting me to share with you today. Uh, I want to make sure I just so appreciate your pastors, Pastor Mark and Renee Johnson. Man, you all have great leaders here at Calvary. Uh, The pastoral staff, uh, all the team that has been here. It's been such a privilege to be here again this year with you. And we've had a great youth emphasis week. Uh, they're in the uh, Calvary, uh, Calvary Academy and also with the, the youth group. Probably one of my biggest highlights of the group uh, happening was just seeing them really come alive over the period of Tuesday through Friday as we were in chapel. Just seeing how God was challenging them and them learning new things. But I think the biggest highlight uh, of the week thus far has been uh, that on Wednesday night, there were 26 new people that came to the Pulse event. Now, that's awesome, right? That's awesome. And so Pastor Brian and Pastor Q, they did a great job, the youth leaders, getting everybody equipped. But probably the most exciting thing beyond 26 new people is, guess what? 17 of those 26 people made a commitment to follow Jesus. Come on, Calvary. Yes, yes, yes. And so uh, the youth group, then they have a great responsibility now of just shepherding those new young people. And one of the things that I really was excited about, this is just me, I'm a, I'm a PSer, I'm a public schooler. Uh, I love Christian schools. All my Christian friends at the Christian schools, they were, they were the heathens, the public school people. We were, we were saved. Uh, no, but, uh, <laughs> but what I loved about that is the majority of those students actually came from the public schools. And so, my friends, I don't know about you, but that's exciting. That's really exciting news. And so, you got some great work to do before you. Uh, most of you, when you came in, you parents, you probably caught an arrow, this little arrow right here. If you got an arrow coming in, if you didn't, uh, you can get one possibly on the way out. If you're a parent, father, mother, grandparent, grand, grandpa, uh, legal guardian, whatever that situation would be for you. But we gave you an arrow because uh, not only are we talking about uh, just how parent, how children are like arrows today. And again, I want to inspire you on Youth Sunday. The youth has been doing such a great job, but I know great youth come from great parents. Uh, and so I'm just so thrilled as to what God has kind of put on my heart to share with you today. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about arrows. I got, I got something fun today. Come on, some of you boars, archers out there, bow and arrow people. I got a bunch of arrows and I got my quiver right here. How many of you know it can't fit me in Jesus' name? Looks a little small on me, okay. But I got my arrows, and you probably didn't think you were going to come to church this morning and uh, get to see a preacher show you his skill set in bow and arrow. And so I'm going to go ahead and give you a little visual illustration today. I don't even know how to hold this thing. Pastor Brian was the one helping me. But I I thought this would be really, really cool to be able to kind of demonstrate. So I've got this chair back here, and it's, am I putting this on right, Pastor Brian? I'm so wrong. I'm so wrong. Oh, oh, turn it around. There it is. There it is. There it is the other way. Oh, I got it. Okay. So I'm showing you my expertise today. And so you got this little thing right here that hooks right there, and then it slides right there. I'm ready to go now. How many archers out there? Anybody? Some hunters? Got some hunters. There we go. There we go. I'm ready to go now. By the way, we never did this in the hood. Let's just give you, that's why you're noticing my deficiencies this morning. Uh, But uh, I I wanted to kind of do this and have a little fun because uh, we're talking about really 
helping children be trained and raised up and released out today. And you all, I believe most of you, are phenomenal parents, and we all want to do the best for our kids. We all want to send them out right, and we know we have failures and mistakes, and that's all good. God's gracious. But uh, today, I want to talk to you really about two things, uh, praying in your presence, praying in your presence. And so I've kind of titled the message, Prayerington with Presence. Pretty interesting, huh? Prayerington with Presence. And, you know, Pastor Brian told me if I lick this a little bit, it'll stick. And so I'm going to give it a shot. They said they were going to put some, some arrows up there like I had already been shooting, but they didn't. So that doesn't make me look very good. But, you know, sometimes you have to have a, a distance when you're aiming for a target. And one of the things I love about the Scripture is in Psalms 127, uh, verse 4, Solomon kind of writes it, and he talks about those who build a house, labor in vain, uh, all those things. And then he kind of comes down to this point, and he says, children, uh, like arrows, are children in one's youth. And this scripture has a really figurative meaning to it, but uh, Solomon kind of uses this, I would say, comparison to arrows and children, and it has a lot of relativism as to how we as parents and future parents want to raise our children, and send them out. And so he talks about this arrow, and just a little background on arrows and bows. Back in the old days, bows were really made with this flexible piece of wood. Uh, It had to be really flexible, and and this string since would be made out of a sinew, which was almost like a piece of tissue that's between the bone and the muscle of some type of animal. And what they would do is they would create, form this bow, and then they would go out into the woods and find the right wood for the arrows. And the arrows had to be made of a lot of durability because once they were shaped and formed, you didn't want the wind velocity to affect how the arrows were shot out, if they would go to the right, to the left. And then when they created the flint, which is the arrowhead, uh, they had to mold that and shape that into the arrowhead that we know today. And that was simply made because whatever target that it was supposed to hit, it had to have the most impact most damaging impact on it. So, I mean, you know, when an arrow goes in, it's not, yeah, it hurts, but when you pull it out, oh, man, that's when you have a lot of impact. And so it's interesting that Solomon talks about uh, kids being like arrows. And how many of you know when, if, you, if you've ever held a bow and arrow before, depending on how far you pull back in that tension is how far that arrow will be launched. And how many of you know there's a lot of tension and parenting those knucklehead teenagers you got. A lot of tension, right? Especially when they get to the adolescence age and they can tell you no and ask the question why and they can give you roll eyes in the back of their head or storm off or give you a sarcastic comment or even when they're three or four and they just become a little defiant, right? Uh, And when you pull back an arrow, there's tension in it and you got to get it back just right. And I was thinking about, why would Solomon use like arrows or children in one's youth? Why, why would he use that? And there's, there's a couple of different thoughts that I was just reading and studying. One of the thoughts was that when you are making an arrow, and it's not like the way they're made today, but back in the old days when they were making arrows, then they would spend time forming, shaping, molding the arrow, building it, And they wouldn't just build one. They would have to build several to keep in their quiver. And so they would keep this on their back to always be ready. And back in the days, the bow and arrow was a very, very, very powerful instrument because it's actually one of the oldest instruments today of man still. And they would keep it in their back quiver for protection. It would be used for hunting. It would be used for provision. It would be used for battle, all these different types of things. But then Solomon makes this comparison of children and when you're forming this arrow and you're making it, you're carving the wood, you're making sure it's, it's ready, it's tight, the lines in it are good, the flint's ready, you're forming that flint and you're putting it on right and you've got to make sure it's just right. And, and then you've got to go out and begin to practice a little bit. And as an athlete, I, I kind of registered with that because when we go travel, we would never like to do what they call shoot-arounds in the morning in a gym that we had to play in. We always wanted to do that because we got a chance to be in the presence of the environment. 
We want it to feel like, what did the rims feel like? What does the bleach or the depth of perception look like when, when there's hundreds or thousands of people in the stands and I've got to shoot a free throw? So we always wanted to be in the presence of the environment that we were going to be playing in. Just like a boy, just like an archer. When they're going out into the woods and they're preparing and training, they've got to be practicing how they're going to shoot the arrow, how quick they're going to be able to get them out the quiver, the environment around, what distractions are around, if they're animals, are they going to be making noise, all those things. Even if they're hunting, it's so, so important to be in the presence of the environment that you can train yourself in. That'll be a like environment that you may have battle or even hunt in. And so, you know, today as I kind of test my skill here a little bit, I don't even think I'm going to hit that box, even though I'm right here. I'm going to step up a little bit. Come on, somebody. So, Pastor Brian, you just pray for me. Intercede right now in Jesus' name. Okay, here we go. Hey! Well, my friends, I really want to just share with you today some things that, that God has placed on my heart simply because I think that when we, people of God, parents, future parents, really get to a place where we recognize God's call on our lives to be those who receive, raise up, and release children into the kingdom of God. Solomon makes this comparison as an arrow because when you think about it, you're going to have to spend time in the presence of your children. You're going to have to be in environments that, they, that you don't want to be in. You're going to have to uh, have conversations that you don't want to have. You're going to have fun conversations that you get to have by going out and having fun with them and spending time with them. You're going to have to be in their presence. But the other thing is there's a real big need for prayer, not just in the church, but in our schools. And I really feel like it is not just the youth that need to be praying. I think it's the parents that need to be praying. And not simply praying for protection. See, we've gotten to a point in our day where we're like, oh, God, protect my son when he goes to school. No. You know, when you're in the will of God, you're always protected. We were in Nigeria some time ago, and I sent out a text message to our team prayer partners because I was experiencing so much spiritual warfare. I said, man, I don't know if I'm coming home. I feel like I'm either going to be in prison or somebody's going to try to kill me while I'm here. But at the same time, I felt like I was right in the will of God. And so I really never even prayed and asked him for protection. I, I prayed and asked him that God's power would be lived out through my life. And my friends, I think when we begin to think about parenting with presence, as parents, I really feel like most of us and most of you who are here or even future parents, I really feel like you want to do the best you can. You work hard to do all that you can to provide for your children. You want to provide in ways where you're paying the bills, the mortgage, the rent, putting a roof over their head, food on the table, clothes on their back, shoes on their feet. Maybe some of you get a little extra privilege of having cell phones, uh, college funds, retirement funds, all those things, vacation, leisure activities. I really feel like parents want to be the best that they can for their kids and provide for them in a physical way. And not only just in a physical way, but even in an emotional way, in a spiritual way. But you know what I've come to find out is that usually when we're providing in these physical ways, what usually lacks mostly is spiritually. The spiritual care of our families, the spiritual care of our kids, the spiritual care, their emotional healthiness. And so it's interesting because when I think of this scripture in Solomon, I begin to think about some of the problems that I've seen just in ministry, working with youth and kids and being in large churches, small churches. I begin to think about some of the problems that occur when we see the things of the world begin to take over families. The patterns, the cultures, the habits of the world begin to influence families more than God's word. And there's so much influence around us today. So much in the world that we could be influenced by. We were having a great conversation at lunch this week with uh, some of the pastors, and I think we all came to a point of repentance because we were watching this TV show that we like, oh, we should have been watching. And it was like, whoa, dude, this is crazy how much we love this stuff. 
but we don't realize the power that it has on affecting our lives, really driving us to a point of sometimes spiritual apathy. And so when we begin to think about some of these problems that occur, kids begin to have a lack of guidance and direction. They don't know how to make decisions sometimes when we allow things in the world to begin to influence us and we're not the primary influence through being prayerful parents and having a presence in their lives. Kids begin to lack in guidance and direction. And, and, and not only that, they become spiritually and emotionally unhealthy. But then that just trickles down to some of the extracurricular activities that really kind of rule society today. We've got so many programs that are competing for our time and our family time and our personal time. Extracurricular activities, basketball, soccer, chess, swimming, games, fun, all these things, they actually become gods in families. They become our God. They become what we worship. We miss church. The average attendance says that 1.6 times a week a believer attends church. Why is that? Because we're busy doing other things. Other things are influencing our lives. Work. We want to work overtime. We want to work. We got meetings. We commute back and forth. And all these things we do in the name of providing for our family, all these things we do in the name of getting up the corporate ladder or, or the, the nonprofit sector ladder and, and all these things we do for the fact of wanting to work hard and provide for our families. But in essence, we got to be careful because they become gods. They become the very thing that influences our spiritual journey. journey. Then we find kids going astray. We find our, our youth and, 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 and our teenagers and those in middle school, we find them thinking different things about God. And yes, it's awesome because we want to challenge them to think and, and find God and, and, and discover who God is. But God's put us in the pathway of being present and being prayerful and helping them to direct them on that journey of really discovering God, not leaving them open to the influence of the world to do that. And so we find kids going astray, and then, then it's a trickle to marriages because marriages can't keep up with the kids, and I'm working too much, and I'm not home, and I don't care for my wife, or I don't care for my husband. And then marriages begin to get the effect. And then not only that, the family just overall becomes dysfunctional. My family was the epitome of fun and dysfunction. We were a very dysfunctional family. But one of the things that I remember back when I was a kid was that we were dysfunctional, but my mom did the best she absolutely could with the model of prayer in our life. We prayed every Saturday morning as a family. No matter if my dad was there, didn't matter if my cousins were there, my uncles were there, the immediate family of the Joneses' house, we prayed every Saturday morning as a family. My mom woke us up, we prayed, then we ate breakfast. And this, was, this became like a ritual thing that we did. But the thing that was lacking was the presence, the presence. And so when we find ourselves, my friends, in these problematic situations, we have to begin to ask ourselves, what are some of the things that are causing these problems in our life? What are some of these things that are causing these problems in my teenager, in my, in my five or six or seven-year-old? What, what are some of these things that are causing problems in our marriage that we need to get a pulse on? You know, one of the main things that I've kind of come to the agreement is, is that spiritual apathy happens. We begin to do the mundane things of coming to church, dropping the kids off at youth, going to work. And, it, and some, one preacher called it the same old principle. We do the same old thing every single day. We go to the same old work. We go to see the same old people. We go to the same old road, route or road that we take pending construction. We have the same old time that we get on and off of work. It's the same old, same old, same old, same old. How many of you know that actually can be a part of developing spiritual apathy? Really can and so when we think about these problems that are carrying on our life and the lives of the kids and the lives of the kids in our society, one of the things we have to be able to do is identify this source. And one of the sources that Paul talks about is that it's the influence of the world, the influence of the culture that we live in. How many of you know culture is very powerful? It's very powerful. Yes, God is all-knowing, God is all-powerful, but you're not. I'm not. 
And so when we think about the culture, my friends, and you begin to ask yourself these questions, what things are influencing me that shouldn't be influencing me? What things have I allowed to influence my kids that shouldn't be influencing my kids? Because we, as people of God, need to have the main thing, the main thing, and that is God's word being the center of all things that influences us, that governs our lives as we submit ourselves to who God and his word is. And so when we begin to think about these problems, Paul really speaks about it, and even Jesus mentioned it to his disciples. In Matthew chapter 5, he mentioned several things about adultery. He mentioned things about uh, uh, murder. He mentioned several things, even the Beatitudes. And I love the word Beatitudes because what he was sharing with his new disciples is basically, hey, you have just entered the kingdom of heaven, and everything that you used to do in the culture that you used to live in is going to be different now. So Jesus said statements like this, you've heard that it was once said this way, or basically what he meant was, you've seen it possibly done this way, but I say to you, this is the new way. And so as believers, even though we come from a culture of a world that's pulling on us, that's tugging on us, Paul even mentions this in Romans 12, 3, and he says, do not copy the customs or behaviors of this world. That's what he said. And so if Paul said that, guess what he meant? This is what he meant. He meant that there, are, there is a strong possibility that you will copy the customs and behaviors of this world. That's what he meant. There is a very strong possibility that you will. And it's very likely. Why? Because B.C. days before Christ, you thought as a sinner, you lived as a sinner. Whatsoever a man thinketh, that he is. And so your B.C. days, you knew nothing but the culture in the world you lived in. But when you became a Christian, guess what? That did not supernaturally change. You want to know why I'd say it didn't change? Listen to what Paul says. He says, but let God transform. That's a process. The word there is metamorphi. It simply means metamorphosis, where we get that word from. When you think of a caterpillar in a cocoon, it's been time metamorphosing from this caterpillar that eventually will come out as a butterfly. And so Paul was saying, let God's word take you through this metamorphosis of, 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 of where you used to be, B.C., your thinking, your thoughts, your patterns, your behaviors, your practices, and get you to where God's word is living in you and being lived out through you. And this is what he kind of ends with. Let God's word transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Everybody say think. Think by changing the way you think. And then he says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, what is good, pleasing, and perfect. I love what he says, good, pleasing, and perfect. That's God's will for our life. But it just doesn't happen right away. It's a process of getting into God's word. It's a process of spending time with him. It's a process of living in community, coming to church more than 1.6 times a month, getting in a small group. It's a process of going to youth group every week as you can. It's a process of hearing God's word, meditating on it, memorizing it, and applying it to your life. And my friends, as, as parents, we have the same responsibility to do when it comes to raising up and releasing our kids as arrows into the world. So we have to ask ourselves, what mostly influences the practices that we use to raise up our kids? What mostly influences the practices of what we use and what we're doing that influences us and how we are raising our kids? Most of us would, would just absolutely agree with this, our family background. I had a lot of strong traditions in my family, cooking, how we did things, how we dealt with money. We had a lot of different values. Even though we didn't talk about those values, I caught them. How many of you know, as young as you are or as old as you are, you are a part of your family? You are your mother or you are your father or you are your grandmother, you are your grandfather. You are who they are because you lived in the culture. You lived in the environment. You, you, you caught the background. You caught the values. And some of those values, God bless each and every one of them, they weren't all biblical. They weren't all godly. They were just what was learned and passed down from tradition to tradition. Friends sometimes influence us. Different ways our friends do things, and we like and see what they did. Culture, life experiences, 
Sometimes we experience things in our lives and we're like, I'm not going to have that when I have kids. I'm not going to do that when I'm parenting my kids. And we try very difficult, we try very hard to keep away the difficult things we endured or we, that we went through as kids or parents that we want to keep our kids or, grandparents or grandkids away from. And so culture is a, is a monster. It can really influence the believers. But Jesus had this upside down paradigm. And his upside-down paradigm was basically he wanted his church to influence culture. He didn't want the, church, the culture to influence the church. And my friends, today, if we really are honest with each other, we've got to be very, 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 very careful as the church of Jesus Christ. Because we don't want the culture to influence us. We want to make sure we're influencing the culture. What am I saying? You are salt and light to the world. You have a glow on the inside of you that the world needs to see because they're living in darkness. But we can't subscribe and succumb to the darkness of the world that dies down our light. And so when we begin to think about some of the things that influences us, I was doing a little research and there's about 10 parenting philosophies that are out there today. And I was like, oh, I think this is really interesting. Let me just get a couple. I want to just read you a few today. This is one of them. The authoritarian parent. That was my mom. This is, this is basically it. It summarizes it. Because I said so. <laughs> Most of us know about that, especially the Gen Xers and the baby boomers, right? Uh, the millennial parents are like, we rationalize and reason. Why, mommy, daddy, why? What is this? That's a different type of parenting. It's one called the free-range parenting. That's, oh, little Jimmy, you're six years old. I want you to be in by the street lights. Come on. Go ahead and ride your bike in the neighborhood. Very independent because they want the child to grow up being independent. I get it. Another one is the helicopter parent. They're hovering over their kids all the time, right? Some of you are like, oh, man, that's me. Don't get hurt. Don't bump your knee. Don't hit your head. Don't be careful. And it's, it, there's 10 different trends and philosophies out there on how to parent. And I don't think any of these are wrong, to be honest. I think in some seasons we're all going to find ourselves blending them. I really do. But the interesting thing that I looked up here was this. Out of all of these, the common denominator was this. None of these included God's principles of his word. None of them. Absolutely none of them. And so guess what that means, my friends? If it doesn't have God's word, then you don't have God's thoughts. And if you don't have God's thoughts, then you don't have God's approach on how he would want to rule it, to govern it, to guide it, and direct it. And guess what, my friends? I don't know about you, but I don't want anybody else's thoughts unless it's coming from the principles of God's word. I don't want anybody else's thoughts unless it's coming from the truth of God's word. Why? Because even Paul talked in Colossians about philosophy entering the church. And philosophy is simply a way and approach to doing life. And if we don't have God's word governing and ruling our lives, then guess what? That means the world is influencing it. That means the world is influencing how we have an outlook on this or how we train and raise up our kids, how we have a relationship with our spouses or our relationships with others and our colleagues. If we don't get what God's word says, then we're in trouble. So what I want to do in these next few moments is really challenge you what I felt like God laid on my heart for Calvary. Parenting with presence. Parenting with presence. I want to leave you with a couple thoughts today, and the first thought is your prayers matter. My friends, I want you to see through Scripture how some of the patriarchs of our day, of not our day, but of the yesteryear, but it's still applicable in our day, pray for their children. I'm going to just give you some backdrop. Genesis 17, 18, and I also got verse 20 that I'll read a little bit. This was Abraham, the patriarch, the father of many nations from whom we all come from, Abraham. This, this is what the Bible says. It says, and Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. I can just hear the agony in Abraham's voice. 
This is Genesis 17, so God was speaking to Abram about the covenant that he was going to form with him and his wife Sarah, but the promised child, yet Isaac, had not yet come. And Abraham thought it was going to be Ishmael because they had a little, you know, do-boo-boo with uh, Hagar, the slave woman, and they thought that the promise was Ishmael, but it wasn't. And God quickly told him in verse 20, hey, it's not Ishmael. It's Isaac. I want you to name him Isaac. You're going to have a son. And Abraham laughs, man, I'm 99 years old. I don't work no more. My wife is 90 years old. She ain't got the the strength to put out a child. But God told Abraham, I want you to name your son Isaac. But guess what? I'm also going to bless Ishmael. I have heard you. This is what verse 20 says. I have heard you. Wow. I want you to just imagine Abram praying for his son Ishmael, who wasn't the promised child. He was praying not for his protection. He was praying not that he'd become this successful person. He was praying this. He said, God, I pray that he might live before you. I want him to be a follower of you. I want him to serve you. I want him to give his all toward you. But then we also have another example, King David, King David. 2 Samuel verse 12, chapter 16. Listen to what happened. I want to give you the backdrop here. David, I love the Bible because there's a bunch of people who has boo-boos and mess-ups. It just really is. It's, David messes up. He has an affair with his wife, with, with, the, with a woman named Bathsheba, because he was not in the place that he's supposed to be in. That's a great message for you if you read 2 Samuel. And listen, David has another child with Bathsheba. And if you've read the story, this child grows sickly, and it was almost viewed as like a curse from God because that wasn't what God wanted. And so anyhow, the child grows sickly in that particular day and time, and David therefore inquired of God. Guess what that means? Prayer. David prayed of God for the child, and David fasted. When's the last time you fasted for your child? When's the last time you set a day a week or a day a month to fast for your children? It said David fasted and he went and laid all night on the ground. Not the soda mattress, not the lazy boy. He was on the ground travailing, interceding for his son, and he was praying that he might live. But guess what? We can do the same thing. We can pray to God, I I pray for my son, I pray for my daughter, I pray for my grandson, I pray for my granddaughter, that they would live before you, that they would honor you, that they would obey you, that they would be raised up to be great men and women of God. God, I'm going to fast for them, I'm going to intercede for their life, because I know the influence of the world is trying to pull on them. God, I want you to move in their life. David prayed, but not only for that son, he also prayed for this son named Solomon, whom we read today, and actually became one of the wisest men, if not the wisest man in the world. An earthly man that lived. He was considered the wisest man in the world. Listen to what it says. And give to my son Solomon a perfect heart to keep your commandments, your testimonies and your statutes, and then and to them all, and to build the temple for which I have made provision. What am I saying to you today? David prayed for Solomon that he would have a heart to follow Jesus Christ, that he would have a heart to keep the commandments of God, that he would have a heart to declare of his testimony, that he would have a heart to follow his statutes. And David, this is what I love about this scripture, David understood that it wasn't his role to build the temple. He wanted to build this temple for God. He wanted to, and God spoke to him and said, you're not to build the temple. Solomon is to build the temple. Woo! I got to get up right now because some of you, I want to let you know, you don't know what God's called your wife, your husband, or your, your son, or your daughter to do, but if you would pray, he'll reveal it to you. He'll speak to you. I've called her to do this. I've called him to do that. I'm putting you in charge of praying for them and guiding them and shaping them and forming them and molding them into what I I've called them to do. David. David understood Solomon was to build a temple for God. Do you know God knows what he gave you your child for? 
Do you know that? My friends, but the only way we're going to find that out is if we get on the ground, if we see God's face, if we do some fasting, if we do some praying, if we intercede for them so that we can know how to not only pray for them, but that so we can know how we can be in their presence to train them. So not only does your prayer matter, I want to let you know this, your presence is needed for their training. My friends, I want to, I want to show you this chart really quick. Go ahead and pull that up for me, my friend, Tara. Thank you. I want to show you this chart. You, you may not be able to see it. We can get it to you. But this chart is from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. It's a federal organization, federal service that we pay taxes for. Praise the Lord. Um, and there's one study that I did, and it says this. One study showed me that thousands, tens of thousands of families were tested, I believe, and that it says that on average of those families that this is how much time they spent a, a day with their children, 34 minutes. 34 minutes with their children. Guess what, my friends? I just want to give you a, a quick breakdown. 168 hours in a week. To be healthy, we have to sleep for at least 56 of them. Eight times seven, we should be sleeping eight hours a day. Most of you work a minimum of 40 hours a week. That's also another 40 hours that you're going to be working while your children are at school or at an extracurricular activity. So that leaves us roughly with about 72 hours left of margin in the week. In the, in the week. 72 hours of margin. We can even give 10 hours of overtime if you want to take that. That's 62 hours now. Marginal time. What are we doing with our marginal time? This, this, this chart right here, this chart right here, it reveals that there are almost less than an hour, less than one hour that parents spend with their children. And it breaks it down from zero to six, which is most time because there's nursing, there's nursing and, and, and nurturing going on there. Zero to six years old, and then six to 12, and then from 12 to 18. And it starts the parents being at the age of 15. And it says less than an hour a day, parents are spending with their children. How many of you know that you cannot raise up your child spending less than an hour with them? You can't raise them up to be godly, to be, to be sent out as arrows to make a difference in the world. You cannot raise them up with God's plan and his intention for their life, only spending an hour a week with them. What am I saying to you today, Calvary? We've got to pray with our children. I want, I want you to pray for their school. I want you to pray with them when they get up in the morning. I want you to pray with them when they get ready to go to bed. I want you, listen, if you drive, I don't care if you drive, let your car stay at home for two or three days a week. Get in a car with daddy. Daddy, get in a car with your daughter or your son and save them some gas for two or three weeks. Pray with them before they get out the car. Pray with them when they get ready to have a game. Pray with them when they get ready to have a match. I want you to begin to cultivate a time of prayer. I want you to be, I want you to be the model for your kids so them to hear you praying in the morning for them. Hear you praying at night for them. See you praying physically with them. But not only prayer. It doesn't stop with prayer. It goes to a point of presence because presence is so important for people. Presence is so important for people. Presence, my friends, is not only being present in the moment, but it's being there to emotionally connect with people. It's I'm here with you. I'm here to listen to you. I'm here to love you. I'm here to cry with you. I'm here to lean on your shoulder and let you see me cry. I want you to cry on me. I want to hold you. I want to care for you. I don't care if you're a boy. I'm going to give you a kiss. I'm going to hug you. I'm going to love you. You know why? Because we see in the world today presence is missing from our children. They're being sent out as arrows, but they're not going to the direct target that we're supposed to be lining them up to go to. They're falling away. They're going astray because because we're not spending time praying and we're not spending presence with him. That's what I want to tell you today, Calvary. God is challenging us as a church to be able to send our children out like arrows. And the way we do that is by shaping them, informing them, and molding them. You know what that is? That's prayer. How we do that? We go out and practice with them. We got to be in their presence. We got to love on them. We got to care for them. We got to listen to them. We got to emotionally connect with them. That's what God is calling us to do by parenting with a presence. So, today, I want to just kind of wrap up our time here, and 
I want to kind of go back to my arrow. Go back to my bow. Some of you are here, and you got to recognize who God's called you to be. You're a parent, you're an archer, you're holding the bow. You're keeping the arrows in your quiver. It says in that verse, it blesses the man whose quiver is full of them. Your family, you got four kids, five kids, six kids, seven kids. That's great. Keep having them. <laughs> Some of you are like, the devil is alive, no truth in him. <laughs> but if God gives them to you, guess what it says in that verse? Children are heritage from the Lord. Children are a gift from the Lord. They're a gift from the Lord. You hold the bow. You're an archer. My friends, God is giving you arrows, your quiver. And you're going to be the one that's going to be responsible for sending them out. You're going to be the one that's going to be responsible for making sure that they're sent out in a way that God has called them to be sent out. You're going to be the one that's responsible for teaching and training and releasing them to be able to hit the designated target that God has called for them to hit. And how are you going to do that? I want to tell you the most two important ingredients is praying with and for them. The other thing is being with them, being present with them. We got we to gotta get back to being present with our children. We got to get back to being intentional. We got to get back to guarding the most important and most precious things in the life that God has given to us all. And that's our children. That's our families. We got to be able to make time and create margin for that. And so today, I want to challenge us. When you got in, you got an arrow. And that's just for your keepsake. It's so that you can remember that the responsibility that God has given you. But this is what I want to do as we get ready to end our time together. I want to have a time of prayer. I would be remiss if I spoke about prayer and we didn't have a time of prayer. And so for those of you that are here and you're able to stand, I would like everybody to stand. But if you're not able, please, you can remain seated. But this is what I want to do in this, these next final moments. Before we transition into a time of prayer, some of you are like, well, my kids are grown. They're out of school. Guess what I want you to do? God laid this on my heart this morning. I want you to pick a school in the community and make it your point of prayer. Pray daily, weekly for whatever you can. Pick a school in the community, one or two if you need to, and begin to pray for those kids. Maybe take a prayer drive over there and just walk around like you're exercising, but you're praying in the spirit. You're praying for that school. If you can bake some cookies, they won't let you in to preach, but if you can bake cookies, I'm a mom, I'm a grandma from the community, I just love children, I want to bake cookies and bless these kids, whatever it is. Do, listen, if you seek the Spirit of God, He'll tell you. He will, but I just want you to adopt a school to pray for. If you don't have any kids, your kids are older. If you have kids and they're here, do me a favor, I want you to raise your hand. If you have a kid and they're here right now, just raise your hand with me. Great. All of you that raise your hand, do me a favor, make your way down to the front right now. Just make your way down to the front. Make your way down to the front. For those of you that have kids and they're not here, raise your hand. You have kids and they're not here. Awesome. Awesome. I'm going to invite you to get ready to come down too, right? Right after they get down. Just come down. Get close. We're a family here at Calvary. We're a family. Get close. But my friends, I, my, 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 my heart is beating in this message because my wife and I, we had two miscarriages in the last six months. That's probably one of the hardest things we went through. Still hurts. Still wondering. Still asking. Now, I haven't given up hope. Trusting God. But it's giving me a, a, a newfound light on what my responsibility is when our kids do come. I'm just being very transparent with you. It's hard preaching this message today. I felt like, man, I can't tell people how to parent. I don't even have kids. And if you notice, I didn't tell you how to parent. I encourage you how to pray. I encourage you how to be with them. What I want you to do, for those of you who, don't, who have kids and are not here, come on, you can join us too. Come get out of your chairs and join us wherever you are. But this is what we want to do for the next few minutes here. I just want you to begin to pray. If you have your child there, I want you to begin to just pray with each other. Ask them what's on their heart. 
We rarely do that as parents. I've heard it. I'm, I'm used to it. I'm used to it. My parents didn't ask me. I hear it from you. My parents don't really ask me what I need to pray for. Begin to ask your children, hey, what, what can I pray for for you? Let's pray about that. Let's build that relationship. Let's build that friendship. Let's build that camaraderie. Let's, let's take it deeper. Just in this moment of prayer, just, I want you to just begin to pray for each other in this moment. When you begin to turn to each other and just pray. Ask them, what do you need? Who's at your school? What are you struggling? What are you dealing with? And then as a parent, tell them what you're dealing with. Tell them what you're struggling with. You can be honest. I'm struggling with raising you. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> pray for me. But that gives them an understanding of, man, I need to be more empathetic toward mom and dad. I need to really understand the weight that they have for my life. And so this is what I want us to do. I want us to take the next few minutes, and I just want us to pray together, not just as a corporate, but as families. And if you're here and you're don't, your family's not with you, man, you can join in and pray together. If you, got, if you see people next to you, I'm going to have you pray together first as a family, and then I'm going to say change, and then when we change, we're going to pray together with other people around us. Because there's nothing like experiencing the burdens of other people. That, that lets you know my, my world isn't as bad as I thought it was. And so this is what I want us to do in these next few moments. I want you to just begin to turn to your spouse, your children that's with you, and just begin to pray. And if you don't have kids here, just begin to pray for your kids that are somewhere else. Just begin to pray for them. So let's just pray right now. Come on, let's just begin to pray like we're really Pentecostal people here. We believe in God. We believe in the Spirit. Just begin to call out and intercede on your family and friends. Come on, come on. Just begin to pray with each other. If you see somebody here and they're not, they don't have anybody to pray with, just join with them in these next few moments. God in heaven we need your presence we need you Lord will you encourage us will you strengthen us give us a posture of prayer for our children give us a posture of prayer for their community for their schools that they would go in and be salt and light Lord we pray for their protection but we pray for your power to be lived through them because we know if that's happening you're going to protect them you're going to cover them God, bless the children, bless the youth, bless the, the middle schoolers, bless them, Lord, to be salt and light in their communities. Come on, just continue to pray for them right now. Just call out to God for them. What I want you to do in these next few moments is just turn, get, get with somebody, build a community of people, four, five, six, seven, eight people, and just begin to lock and load. Let, lock and load. Let's lock hands and let's just pray for each other's needs. Come on, just hold, hug each other. Even if you're in the audience today, you don't have to be disconnected. Grab somebody's hand next to you. Just begin to pray for them. If you see a youth out there and they're standing by themselves, come on, just, just begin to pray together. Prayer is a powerful foundation, my friends. Let's pray. Let's, let's ask God for his vision for the community, how to reach the kids, how to encourage them, how to parent our children better. Come on, come on. This is awesome. Father, I thank you for my friends. I thank you, Lord, that today you've inspired us to pray. You've inspired us to be more present, make a difference in the lives of our children as they are like arrows, God, in, our, in one's youth. As we're called to train them up, to send them out, and to release them into society to, to be heaven populators and hell plunderers, God. We thank you for this call. For future parents that are here, Lord, we thank you for the hope that you'll give them and they'll use this message one day to be glorified, that you would be glorified. Father, we bless you and we thank you for all that you're doing. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Remember, parenting with presence, my friends. Your prayers matter and your presence is needed for training. You may take your seats. Pastor Brian. Thank you, Will. If you'd have a seat for us for just a second, we'd appreciate it, please. Uh, while you're seated, I'd just like to uh, just go over a couple of things. Uh, the West Bar Funeral Service is going to be Monday at 11.30 here at Hazeldell. Uh, the visitation is actually today um, from 3 to 8. And so if you have a vehicle that you would maybe leave here, we'd ask you if you just uh, take it with you so we have uh, plenty of room uh, for parking uh, for the family as they, as they come in. Uh, we had a great week this week uh, with Will and Jen and... Uh, our, our uh, Calvary Academy had Spiritual Emphasis Week, and uh, we have a, a picture of that, and, and there's uh, just that picture, just a great week of God moving in our academy. Uh, we also had a thing we called Pulse, uh, our second annual Pulse, where we had some fun at Pulse, and uh, God was just uh, good to have some fun there. Uh, before all the fun started, uh, we actually uh, had a, a message that Will preached, just an amazing message and some time of worship and, uh, and I got to experience just even here the most amazing thing uh, this year at Pulse. Usually, uh, pastors, we have everybody pray a, a, a salvation prayer together. Um, but Will uh, did a little different. And, and as I sat and watched, as he said, if you'd like to accept Christ, I want you to pray a prayer and, and all that. I was standing in the back, and this was kind of my view that you see. And as the students bowed their head and closed their eyes, he mentioned this early. I heard 17 voices, 17 voices in a large crowd cry out in their own words and their own ways, God, become Lord of my life. God, come into my heart. And I just, I stood there and heard these students boldly proclaim, Jesus, take over. Jesus, become my all. That's the greatest thing that a youth pastor, in fact, any Christian can ever hear is someone accepting Christ. And so as the ushers come this morning, we just want to take up an offering to help us cover uh, Pulse and Spiritual Emphasis Week. And we just want to invite you uh, just to, to give in this offering and to help us uh, just this week with the expenses of, of Spiritual Emphasis Week. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we just, we thank you, God, for what you're doing in Calvary Youth, God, what you're doing in Calvary Church. Father, we thank you for just this week, God, where we were just able to push into your presence, God. Father, where you moved in so many hearts and lives this week. God, I pray that you'd just make us better parents, God. You'd make us better students. And Father, that would all start with just prayer. God, in reading of your word and living our lives, Father, that would just, just glorify you. Father, I pray that you just bless this offering, both the gift and the giver. In Jesus' name, amen.